So, firstly, just to remind us for our generosity drive this month, we're getting behind um, our friends who are helping out Afghan refugees who are in the city. They're due, God willing, to be moved on to some more sustainable accommodation soon. Uh, but they're, they're still around, so we want to just get them a few bits that would make life easier for them. There's a games night that, that's hosted that a few of us uh, are involved in, and they could just do with a few bits and bobs. And these would be great things that they can take on with them once they, they get somewhere um, more permanent or semi-permanent to live. So uh, as you know, we, we get behind something each month, and the last Sunday of the month, we'll say our generosity liturgy together. And really just stand together and confirm our desire to be a people who are marked by the generosity that Christ has shown to us. And we want to just show that in specific ways. So we're going to just look out for any new board games, uh, packs of playing cards. So you know what I mean by that, like kind of a, a normal pack of playing cards. Um, and then ping pong balls and bats. Bit of a random collection there. That's really going to bless them if you can look out for those things this month. Secondly... A few of us have started reading the Bible in a year together. We do this each year and we use the Bible app to do that. If you're up for that this year, it's not too late. We are only nine days into January. It's only four chapters a day. So if you fancy that, it's a great way of just making your way slowly through the Bible, getting to know the the big picture, God's story, which we're going to see this afternoon. Uh, A great way of doing that together. You can comment on it, just share some reflections. So it's not too late to do that. Uh, If you're part of Liberty Church, you've got an email with a link that you can easily just click that and join on to that. And then lastly, uh, just to say a big thank you for uh, all that you guys have poured into this week with our prayer week. Um, I hope you found it as encouraging and edifying and uh, joy-filled as, as I've found. I'm sure some of us are still a little bit tired and weary from some of the late slots on, um, on Friday night. But that's been a great way for us to start the year together. Uh, just really crying out to God for him to do what we cannot do, to move in ways that we can't move, to do the impossible. And it was great to be out um, earlier on in the sunshine, which we haven't seen for a while, praying together around the park. Uh, can I just encourage us? We finished our prayer week, but we haven't finished praying, right? Like we are a church who are marked by prayer, devoted to prayer, as we saw last week. And the three things that we talked about this morning, as we went out to pray, and we're going to hear them in a minute from Acts chapter two. Those three marks of the, that early church of being a people who worshipped, they were really praising God, um, a people who found favour in the city, and a people who saw salvation. Let's keep this year, those three things, keep crying out to God for those things, that he would help us be a people who worship him, who praise him, who have genuine hearts, who are stirred by all that he's done for us. Let's pray for favour with the people that we're interacting with uh, locally in our community, and let's continue to pray that he would save. People that we've been thinking about, praying about this week, pray that he would save, that he would do the impossible. Okay, Acts chapter 2. I'm going to read uh, this uh, portion of uh, this account of how the early church grew, were established. Acts chapter 2, verses 42 to 47. We've heard this already a number of times over the last few weeks. We're going to just have this same portion read to us right the way through January, January as we look as to what it is to be a people who are devoted to God, 
What does it look like for us to be a people, God's people, who are formed by the gospel and devoted in five particular ways? So devoted in prayer, which we saw last week, devoted in the word, which we're seeing this week, next week, devoted to one another, and then devoted to the breaking of bread. And then finally, on our last Sunday, devoted to generosity. But let me read this. I'll pray and then we'll jump in to see what it is for us to be a people who are devoted to the word. And they devoted themselves, the apostles' teaching and the fellowship to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul. And many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. Thank you for all of the truth from your word that we have confessed and sung and declared this afternoon. Father, we thank you that we we have more truth here in front of us. We thank you for your word, which is truth. Father, we thank you for the example that is given to us here of these early disciples. And Father, we thank you for the way that they devoted themselves to you and devoted themselves to the things that you had given them to help them see more of you, to help them to be the people that you created them to be. We thank you for the great gift of your word. Oh, what a privilege it is to have a stack of Bibles at the back of this room that there are surplus. What a gift that is. Father, we pray for those brothers and sisters across the world who don't have that luxury. Father, help us not to neglect the beauty of your word and specifically in this next half hour or so, help us not to do that. Holy Spirit, help us to see all that God's word is. Help us to see that it is living, active, sharper than any two-edged sword. Help us to see that because that is true, you will change us. So we depend on you, Holy Spirit. We look to you, Jesus. Father, we love you and we thank you for this great gift that you have given us. And it's in your son's name that we pray. Amen. This reading that we've heard, and again, we've heard it a few times already. We read a bit in the park before. A lot of us will be familiar with it. This little just synopsis of what the early church look like and I'm sure if you've heard it read before or you've heard it preached on or you're, you're familiar with this part of the passage it is like it's it's just this beautiful picture of almost the perfect church like it is a bit of a, a picture if we were to think of what the perfect gospel community look like it would probably look a little bit like this church it's kind of like if you um you know if you go past a a, a, a um where'd you get holidays from a Travel agents, thank you, Helen. And you see just that, the brochure, like the sandals brochure of the perfect couple there, all like tanned and, and oiled up in a perfect beach on the, with the perfect, the, the sea lapping up behind them with the cocktails. It's that kind of picture that we see here, like the perfect gospel community here. It is a picture of contentment. They seem satisfied. They seem full of joy. The interesting thing, everything that they had we have. In fact, it, it could be true to say we have more. Luke says that they devote themselves to the apostles' teaching, that is, to the word of God. And what he means by that, that stage in history is they devote themselves to the Old Testament. 
They didn't have the New Testament like we have. They didn't have the the gospel of John, which I love so much. They didn't have Romans chapter 8, verse 1. There is therefore now no condemnation. They didn't have 2 Corinthians 12, verse 9. My grace is sufficient for you. They didn't have all that. We have so much more in front of us. And yet I know, because I know it in my own life, so many of us are discontent and dissatisfied with our lives. Which can I say is the opposite of what we were created to be. See, the, there is a lie that is told in the world and sometimes it pervades even the church. That God just wants to curtail our freedom. That he wants us just to, just to hold on and, and live a difficult life until we reach heaven. And that's just not true. God created us to be content. He created us to be satisfied. And yes, we live in a broken world. And yes, sin, sin just loosens our grip on the things that are truly going to bring us into enjoy in life. But this isn't just a, a white knuckle ride until we get home, folks. God has created us to be content and he's created us to be satisfied in him. But you see, that's where it starts and that's where it ends. With Jesus. The answer to a life of contentment and satisfaction is found only in Jesus. Like Elizabeth reminded us, reminded us of that this afternoon already in our call to worship. Jesus is better. Jesus is better than all the things that we hear. Can I just say as well, um, this is slightly an aside, but our call to worship is so important. Elizabeth, Matthew, Ryan, when they call us into worship on Sunday afternoons, tune in, listen to what they say. They pray over that, they plan it, they they prepare what they're going to say. And what they're trying to do is to direct our gaze and our thoughts and our affections towards Jesus. And I want to honour you guys that you do a wonderful job of that. And that is important because it is only in him that we will find contentment and satisfaction. There is no other way. There is no other way to find it. It is only found in Jesus. And actually, when you see how Jesus lived for us, when you see how Jesus died for us, when you see how Jesus rose again for us, when you see how Jesus is right now seated at the right hand of the Father for those who are in him interceding for us, actually, you wouldn't want to find contentment and satisfaction anywhere else. You would only want to find it in Jesus. If you're not a Christian, you need to know that. If you're searching for contentment and satisfaction, you will not find it outside of Jesus Christ. And if you're a Christian, the answer to your life of contentment and satisfaction is found only in Jesus. And folks, he hasn't made it hard for us to receive him and to enjoy the life that he's given us. In saving us, he gave us his spirit, the very presence of God, and he gave us his word, the very words of God. And just like very simply, his spirit will never leave us. We are indwelled by his spirit. His spirit will never leave us. And so if we are feeling discontent, if we are feeling dissatisfied with our lives, it's because we've let go of this. Jesus left us his spirit and his word. His spirit never leaves us. And so if we feel like we just aren't aren't having hold of the life that he has promised for us, it's not because his spirit has gone, it's because we have let go of his word. 
You see when we read in Acts chapter 2 here, this early church, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. They devoted themselves to the word of God. They delighted in the word of God. The thing that they needed more than anything else was the word of God. It was their dearest treasure. And so that's why it looks like a sandals holiday. That's why it looks like the perfect gospel community because they had the spirit and they had the word and they were holding fast to both. And we need to hear this afternoon, folks. The hope that we need in our daily struggles, it is found in God's word. The wisdom that we need to live fruitful lives, it is found in God's word. The seed of faith that we are longing to be planted into our unbelieving friends and family, it is found in God's word. The power that we need to break our patterns of sin, it is found in God's word. The peace that we need in our moments of anxiety, it is found in God's word. The rest that we need in our feeling of exhaustion, it is found in God's word the joy that we need in the darkest of circumstances it is found in God's word and the truths in this book are completely sufficient in supplying you the hope the wisdom the faith the power the peace the rest the joy and everything else that you feel that you are lacking in this life of contentment which I think all of us are because the truth is this life is hard From our first cry coming into this world, we are confronted with pain, disappointment, struggles, conflict, loss. And I know that there are weights that many of us in this room are carrying that feel weighty and crushing. And yes, for the Christian, we have the hope of a new creation that is to come where all of those things will be gone. But what about now? How do we reach the heaven's joys that we just sung about? How do we reach those heights? How do we bring ourselves into the new creation? In a way that doesn't have us coming in crushed. I love what this uh, man, uh, John Wesley said. I think I'll put it up. I haven't. I'm going to read it out for you. John Wesley, who, um, if you don't know, was an author, a hymn writer, wrote Hark the Herald Angels Sing. I didn't know that. There you go. Um, He wrote that one, which we were singing a few weeks ago. This is what he says. He's looking forward to the new creation. He's looking forward to coming home. And this is what he says. I want to know one thing. The way to heaven. I want to know how to land safe on that happy shore. God himself has come down to teach the way for this very end. He came from heaven and he has written it down in a book. Oh, give me that book. At any price, give me the book of God. I have it. Here is knowledge enough for me. Let me be a man of one book. He's saying, I want to reach home. I want to get to heaven, but I don't, want to, I don't want to limp in. I don't want to be crushed. I need help now. And God has given it. He has sent his son to show us the way to heaven, to show us the way there. And he has written all that we need for a life of contentment here. And I have it. And you can take away all the other books that I have. Just leave me this one. John Wesley was convinced the way to reach the promise of heaven without being crushed is by immersing yourself in here, in God's word. See, the difference between Christianity and every other religion is every other religion will have us climb up a mountain trying to get to God, trying to find enlightenment, trying to find that deity. We have to make our way up. We have to search for the God. We have to work for that God. But Christianity is so different. Faith in Jesus is so different because he comes down the mountain to get us. He comes to find us. 
He condescends and comes and lives amongst us. And he shows us the way to a life with him for all eternity. He shows us the way for life which we all crave is found only through him. He shows us in his death that life is only found through him. He shows us in his resurrection that life is only found in him. As he ascends to be with the Father, he leaves us his spirit and he leaves us his word to take hold of that life that he has promised us. He leaves us his spirit and he leaves us his word to take hold of the life that he has promised us. And if we believe that to be true, if we believe that the life that we so desire, the contentment, the satisfaction that we so desire will be found by immersing ourselves in the truths of God's word, we would be immersing ourselves in this book every day. But we don't. And listen, this isn't a drive-by guilting. I'm not trying to make us hang our heads in shame. I'm in this with you. My hope isn't that we feel guilty because we're not devoted to the word. My hope instead is that we see why devotion to God's word is a pursuit, a worthwhile pursuit of a life of contentment. And so how do we get there? How do we be a people who are devoted to God's word? I believe it it starts with having a right view of what this is. A right view of what God's word is. And so all I want to do this afternoon is share three misconceptions of what we think the word of God is. And then three correctives to help us see how we can be a people who are devoted to God's word. Three misconceptions, so things that we often think as we come to God's word, things that maybe prevent us from being devoted to God's word. And three correctives to help us to be devoted. And the first one is this. So often when we come to God's word, we think that it's just a book. Just like any other book that we have on the shelf, we think that it's just a book and we engage with it just like we engage with any other book. And every year I set out pretty much the books that I'm going to read in that year. So I try and the last few years I've been trying to read through 50 different books in a year. And I'm trying to just broaden my horizons of what type of book I read. And I've started including novels on, on this list because I, I just don't read novels. It's not really an interest of mine, but I put a few on. And I find it really hard because if you read novels you don't really ever find a thin novel. Like, you, they're big, thick things. And I come to these books, and I have to confess, last year, my mum and dad gave me a couple of novels to read, didn't they? And they're like, Don Coyote, like, it's an absolute beast. And I probably got through the first few pages and then put it down because it intimidated me. It's such a big book. And actually, when you look at the Bible, it's a big, thick book. There's over a thousand pages in there. There's hundreds of chapters in there. And many of us come to it and look at it, and we come to the conclusion, it's just too hard. I don't understand it. I'm going to lose interest once I start. Folks, this isn't a novel. We think it's just a book, but here's the truth. The word is alive. God's word is alive. It isn't a novel. Hebrews 4.12 says this, the word of God is living and active. It's sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and the spirit of joints and of marrow and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. What other book does that? 
What, what novel does that? There is no book on this earth that does that. There's no book that confesses and professes that it is living, that it is active, that it knows the thoughts of your heart. And not only that, but, but it, can, it can change them. It has the power to change them. We might be thinking, well, how? These are just words on a page. That just sounds impossible. It just sounds supernatural. Well, yet it is. Exactly. It is impossible. It is supernatural. And when we study God's word for all that it's worth, and we'll see how we might do that in a few minutes. The wonderful thing is, because it is God's word, we can expect it to do something. We can expect it to change us. We can expect it to comfort us. We can expect it to bring us joy. Why? Because these aren't just any words. It is the word of God. And God's words are creative. God's words are redemptive. God's words are authoritative. God's words are transformative. Do you ever look at creation around you, the stars in the sky, the trees in the park, and think, how do they get there? Like, I think most of us would say, well, God put them there. How did he do it? Well, he didn't have some kind of tree-making factory right at the beginning. It wasn't like the Holy Spirit and the Son and the Father sat down and worked on some blueprints for humans. They're like, right, that's how we're going to make it. You, you make that bit. No, no, no. How do they create all of the glory of creation that we see around us? How do they create you and I? How do they put the stars where they are, the planets in motion? How did it happen? With a word. If you are ever in any doubt that God's word have power, just look up into the sky and see the stars in their place. Look at the person sitting next to you. And remember, God created that with a word. These aren't just any words. These are God's words. And God's words are creative, redemptive, authoritative, and transformative. Jesus himself, in Matthew chapter 4, verse 4, said, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. He's saying that the things of this world are simply insufficient to give us what we desire. He's saying that if we want life, it comes from God. More important than bread, more important than food, more important than anything else in this word, Jesus says, is God's words. That's where we find life. That's where we find we're going to be transformed and redeemed through God's words. More important than bread and water. A few years ago, a guy called David Blaine, who's an illusionist, some of you will remember this, um, set out to do one of his most challenging um, illusions, whatever you would call it, by trying to mimic Jesus' 40 days in the wilderness. Anyone remember it? He would put himself in a glass box on a crane and, and it was kind of hung over the Thames um, for 40 days and he went without food for 40 days to see if he could do it. And he was resisting temptation. It was all quite you know cool the way he was doing it, trying to be better than Jesus. He went 44 days, which he thought was better than Jesus, although he did have water and things along the way. And, and to try and put him off, people were doing all sorts. There was one guy who threw a full English breakfast. What a waste onto the, onto the window to try and put him off. And one guy had a drone with a cheeseburger on and was, was hovering this cheeseburger outside of, of this glass box. And he did 44 days, but he came out of it and he was a mess. 
like an absolute mess physically uh, uh, just all over the place. Like obviously he lost a lot of weight. His vision was blurred. The doctor said his, his blood pressure was dangerously low. His brain had swollen to a point where he, he could have had permanent brain damage. He was salt depleted. And then when he tried to start eating again, he suffered with explosive diarrhea for months. Like that's probably the worst, worst thing on the list there. But we know without physical food, we're adversely affected. Our vision blurs. Our enjoyment of life is compromised. We're tired. We're distracted. We're fatigued. We're disheartened. Without our spiritual food, brothers and sisters, we will become spiritually malnourished. We will become discontent. We will become dissatisfied. Our vision, the way that we look at the world, the way that we view each other will become blurred. We won't find enjoyment in the places that we should. We will become distracted and we will become disheartened. And so can I encourage you, brothers and sisters, eat. We think that this is just a book. The word of God is alive. Secondly, we think that the goal of being devoted to God's word is knowledge. It's just growing in knowledge. And the reality is the goal in being devoted to God's word is Jesus. The goal is not who, sorry, the goal is not what we know as we study God's word. The goal is who we know. The goal of reading our Bibles, folks, can I just liberate us? It's not to know our Bible. It's to know the God of the Bible. I think this is one of the most common reasons that we give up devoting ourselves to the word because we treat it like a book that we think that we have to master. Like, oh, we're Christians, there's the textbook. Okay, go away and figure it out. Like, learn it, and then you're going you're gonna to have this test called the Christian life, and you all have to pass it. That isn't what the Word of God is. It's not something that we have to understand and memorize so we, we don't fail this test. We need a proper goal in sight when it comes to devoting ourselves to the Word. And the goal isn't more information. The goal is a deeper relationship with God. It's to meet and know God. It's a relational goal. Right at the start of John's gospel, John the Apostle describes Jesus as the Word. Like the Word is living and active and it's also, it's God. This is, this is God's Word and it is Jesus. And the Apostle John sees that. He says, in the beginning was the Word and the Word was with God and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. And so when we come to God's Word, we are coming to Jesus. In John 14, verse 6, Jesus says of himself, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And I love this in Revelation, John the Apostle. I love that some of his first words are showing us that Jesus is the word, and some of his last words are showing us that Jesus is the word. John's looking forward to the, to the return of Jesus. His coming his bringing us in, into his eternal glory. And he says this, when Jesus comes, he's clothed in a robe, dipped in blood. And the name by which he is called is the word of God. That's literally his name. To come to the word is to come to Jesus, who is the source of all truth. That's what Jesus said about himself. I am the way, the truth, and the life. To come to the word is to come to Jesus, and to come to Jesus is to come to truth. And so we open, when we open up this Bible, when we study it, when we say that we want to be devoted to God's word, we don't open these pages to find an insight or to find a verse. 
also find a wise saying. We open these pages to find Jesus. And in finding Jesus, we find truth. Which is one of the main reasons, I think, that we find it a battle to get this book open. And you might think, well, that doesn't make sense. If, if we find Jesus and we find truth, surely we'd have it open all the time. Like that, that, We want truth. The truth is, folks, from the very beginning, truth has been opposed. Satan has stood against Jesus, he's stood against truth, and has stood against life that is found in Jesus right from the beginning. And instead of us enjoying truth, Satan has tried to stop us from taking hold of Jesus, stop us from taking hold of truth, and stop us from taking hold of life. And his ministry, if you might call that, is one of deception. See, that right at the beginning with Adam and Eve, he distorts God's word and he deceives them, and he's been deceiving humanity ever since. Listen to this. This is what Jesus says in John 8, verse 44. Talking of the devil, he says, he was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. I love this. Like This is like teaching 101. If you're a teacher, how do you get someone to remember something? Just keep repeating the same thing. Literally, in one paragraph, Jesus says the same thing six times. Like Just in case it hasn't sunk in, guys, I want you to know, the devil, he doesn't stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, so he's a liar, he speaks out of his own character. And if you haven't got it by now, let me just make it really clear, guys. He's a liar and he's the father of lies. So we get what Jesus is saying, right? The devil's a liar. The devil hates Jesus. He hates truth. And he lies. And don't think that we're immune from them. Because he hates Jesus and he hates truth. And Jesus is the way to life. He will do all that he can to stop us picking this up. And he will tell us lies like, ah, you don't need this to live well. You'll be all right. You can, you can work. You, you'll survive this week. You, you don't need that. You're wise enough on your own. You don't need any more counsel from God. You'll be all right. You don't need to change. You're okay as you are. Or here's the one we all know. You're too busy. You haven't got time to go there. There's other things that are more important. And even if you get there, you can't read it. You won't be able to understand it. It's too hard for you. All the while, we are scrolling and reading through social media every day and BBC News. (laughs) And we've all become experts on immunology and epidemiology and and, uh, economics and politics. And do you know what's really interesting? If John Calvin was in the room, one of the greatest theological minds that has ever lived, and we started to tell him what we know about how a virus spreads, it would blow his mind. He would think, my goodness, this guy, he's a medical expert. So let's not kid ourselves and let's not lie to ourselves that we can't understand what's in here. And we haven't got time to go here. And we're too busy to go in here. Folks, we are are experts of 101 things. But the devil will convince us this is too much for us. Listen again, I don't want to guilt us here. What I want to do in in simply showing us the truth that the devil is a liar is to show us that every time we go to pick this up, it is a battle. 
There is someone who is working against us, trying to convince us that we've got better things to do with our time because he knows how good that this will be for us. He knows how fruitful it will be for us. He knows that as we read it, we will be led towards the truth and we will be led towards life. And they are things that he detests. And so if you are unengaged in that fight at the moment, if you do genuinely feel like it's a struggle to pick up your Bible to be devoted to God's word, I just want to give us eight quick steps of how we can at least make a start. Knowing how good it is for us, knowing that in God's word we find Jesus, we find truth and we find life. I want to lead us into a way to help us to see how we can do it. The first thing is this, pray. If this is a spiritual battle, you can't do it on your own. So pray. Pray and ask God by his spirit to help you. John 16 verse 13, Jesus says, the Holy Spirit will guide us into all truth, not us. And so we need the spirit's help. And so when you pick this up, when you pick up God's word, pray. Ask for the help of God's spirit. Number two, read. That seems quite obvious, but actually that's a difficulty for some of us. Read, we've got to start somewhere. And it might make sense if you've not picked this up for a while. Maybe at this time of the year as well, you think, well, I'll start at the beginning. I'll go to Genesis. And that might work for you. And praise God if it does. I think for a lot of us, that can be a challenge. So maybe start somewhere like John's Gospel. Somewhere where you're confronted with the person of Jesus really clearly, really obviously straight away. So read. Number three, if you can, read with someone else. Folks, we've individualized our faith so much. And I've got nothing against personal devotions. I do that myself each morning. But actually, very rarely do you see in, in the New Testament people studying God's word, worshiping, singing, praying on their own. We are brought into a community of God's people. And so if you can, read with someone else. And if you're, you're not alongside someone who you can do that with, just reach out into your gospel community and I'm sure there'll be someone who'd love to do that with you. Number four, take it slow. Read slowly. Maybe even just take a verse at a time. Like I might be sticking my neck out here, but I don't think Jesus is coming tomorrow. Probably not even next week. So I don't think we're in a mad rush to try and get through this book as quick as we can because he's coming and I need to learn it all. No, far better just to just do one verse a day if that's all you can take. And read it slowly. And listen to what God is saying to you in that one verse. Number five, I recommend this. Write it out by hand. See, writing out, it just slows the whole thing down. It helps us just to meditate and and really digest what we're reading. I'm writing out John's gospel one verse at a time all the way through this year. Just help me slowly just understand what God's saying to me. Try and write it out by hand. Number six, ask questions and get answers. Don't ask questions and then be like, oh, I don't know what the answer is. Let's move on. Ask questions and get answers. That's one of the beautiful things of reading this in community. Number seven, memorize. And, and usually we'd, we'd kind of think, okay, I need to memorize this verse and, and know it off by heart. That's great if you can do that, but also a wonderful thing is to memorize narrative. Like when you come across a story in the Bible, try and, try and remember that story. Not, not all the verses word, by, word for word, but remember what's going on. Remember who the characters are. Remember what God is doing in that moment. Maybe take a parable. Like I actually think this is a great thing to do master one parable in your life like make one of the parables your parable 
or make one of the interactions of Jesus with someone, that's, that's the one I'm going to remember. That's the one where I'm going to know inside out, know all of the characters, know what Jesus is doing and be able to talk about that with other people. Memorize and finally do. So here's another one of Satan's devices. You know, Satan has no problem at all with the studying God's word as long as we don't do what it tells us to do. Like we can be the best theologian in the world as far as he cares. As long as we don't do what it is that Jesus is calling us to do. Like, you just need to type in on YouTube, good theologian, and you'll see what I mean. You'll get good theologians on YouTube, but then you also get idiots. You know what I mean? People who, who know their Bible, but don't know Jesus at all. to see what God is calling us to do and then actually go and do it. Here's three helpful questions that can help us figure out what that is. When we come to the passage, ask ourselves, okay, what is this passage saying about God? What is it saying about me? How is God calling me to respond in light of it? Pray, read, read it with someone else. Take your time, write out by hand, ask questions, get answers, memorize and do the goal is not knowledge the goal is Jesus and finally is the third and last misconception when we come to God's word we can often think that this is someone else's story this is our story grafted into the greatest story I don't think this is a thing anymore but when I was younger and camcorders were a thing Anyone remember those? Um, I had a friend that was really annoying because he, his mum and dad would take this camcorder on holiday and we used to watch films together. And around this time of year, he'd invite me over. We'd watch films all the time. But this time of year, I'd be invited over to come and watch a, a film. And I'd come into the home and they've got the camcorder plugged into the telly. And I'm like, okay, what, what's the film they're watching? And it's their holiday video. Like that was a thing back then. You'd go, you'd go to someone's house and you'd watch someone's holiday vi- video. And that's all right if you go on holidays, but I grew up one of four, didn't have much money, and our holiday, no, no offence at all, was to Ireland. That's, that was abroad for us. I used to tell my friends, yeah, I went abroad. We just get the ferry over to Ireland and sit on a farm for six weeks. And this guy, he'd be off to New York or in Tenerife, and here he is, like, zipping down the, the water slide, and there they are all on the beach, and I'm sitting there watching someone else's holiday video, and I don't want to be there. It's the most boring thing in the world. When we come to God's word, we're not looking at someone else's story, folks. This is our story. Now, I imagine a lot of us, particularly when it comes to this time of the year, and you're thinking, okay, I want to read through the Bible. I want to get to grips with this. A lot of us can come to the Bible and we just see the Bible as, as a collection of truths or this is about someone else's life. Like this is Jacob's life, this is Abraham's life, this is Jesus' life. And we just, we're kind of just looking in at, at these, these different people living their lives and we see the good things that they do and the bad things that we do and we're just kind of a fly on the wall. Folks, if we are believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, this is a story, but it's a story in which we are participants If you aren't experiencing joy or excitement or anticipation as you are reading God's word, then it's probably because you're coming to it more like a manual or more like someone else's story that is disconnected from you. This is God's story. 
It's his work through creation, through the fall of humanity, through his redemption of us, through his recreation. It's his story. It's his story of his work to bring all of his people to himself. And that is a story that every Christian is wrapped up into because we are wrapped up into his son, Jesus Christ. His story is ultimately our story. And so can I just say, if you're sitting here this afternoon and you feel, if you're a Christian and you feel, do you know what? I'm insignificant. I'm just so insignificant. No one cares about me. I could just go like a ship in the night and no one cares. No one bothers. You are not insignificant. You are part of the greatest story that this universe will ever see and ever hear. It is God's word that sowed the seed of salvation in your story. It is God's word that shines light into the darkness of your life. It is God's word that continues to bring, bring life into your life day after day. It is God's word that will have you bring you on that journey to the shores of heaven, not crushed, not defeated, but having grown in contentment and satisfaction. So whether you realise it or not, folks, if you're a Christian, your story has been formed by God's story, which elevates your story to the glorious. Forget your Harry Potter, forget your Lord of the Rings, forget whatever it is, that great story that you go to, forget it. They are incomparable compared to your story because it is part of God's story. Brothers and sisters in Christ, you might not think this, your story is worth listening to. So as we gather this week in our gospel communities, we're going to get an opportunity to hear them and to celebrate them together. We're going to share our stories with each other and that might fill you with dread, the idea of doing that. I'm going to send an email out tomorrow and just give us three simple steps. For just a way for us to write down our story or prepare to share our story just in two or three minutes in a way that shows the power of God's word and the beauty of Jesus. I want to listen to your story. We should all want to listen to one another's story because it is wrapped up into the most beautiful of stories. Folks, my hope and my prayer is that this will be the year where we become more devoted to God's word than ever before. This word is alive. It is active. This word isn't someone else's story. This is God's story which we have been grafted into. Folks, can we stand? If you've got a Bible, can you just grab hold of it? If you're using your phone, that's allowable. Take hold of your phone. I want to just pray for us. I want to pray protection for us because we've heard the enemy is working against us in this. I want to pray that God by his spirit would help us to be a people who are devoted to his word. And if there is an ounce of guilt, I want to pray that he would take that away. And we wouldn't be motivated by guilt. We would be motivated by wanting to know more of Jesus. Wanting to grow in our relationship with Jesus. I want to pray that he'd help us to have a right view of what this is. These are his words. Words that he wants to change us, the words that he wants us to help walk in the life that he has given us. Well, it's words that he wants us to celebrate as we share their power and how they've worked in us with one another. So hold on to your phone, your Bible, whatever it is. 
Let's pray. And if you, as I pray, if you're committed to this, say amen at the end. If you're not, don't. You don't need to kid God. Don't kid yourself. But if you're up for this, if you're up for becoming devoted to God's word and moving forward, then when I finish praying, say amen with me. Father, we do thank you for your word. Thank you that it is truth. We thank you that in it we see the beauty of the gospel. We see all that your son has done in his life, his death, his burial, his resurrection, his ascension. Father, thank you that you have no expectation of us filling our heads with knowledge. And that being the end, Father, you want to relate to us. You want us to come to your word because this is relational, because you want us to understand more of who you are and more of what you've done. Because you want to change us, conform us, transform us. Father, convince us that your word is living and active, that it is powerful. Convince us that it can bring about the change in our lives that we so eagerly desire. Convince us that this isn't just a book. This isn't a novel. These are your words. And because they are, they are words of power. Words of significance. Words of weight. And so, Father, we confess that so often we, we don't see it for what it is. So help us, just correct us. Help us to see it for what it is. Help us to devote ourselves to it, but not out of guilt, out of a deep desire to know you more, to be changed by you. So, Father, we pray for protection in that. We know the devil is working against us. He is the father of lies. Help us to hear his words of deceit. Help us to hold fast to your word. So, Father, we want to devote ourselves to your word this year. Help us, we pray, not for our glory ultimately, but for the glory of your Son. It's in his name that we pray. Amen.